Amen. You may be seated. Many thanks to the music team that work, they work hard to lead us in singing God's praise and I appreciate that. Turn back to Romans uh, chapter 5 this time. We're going to see Paul sort of be summing up the section on justification and starting to make a transition towards our growth in grace or our sanctification, and we'll see kind of that transition happen through uh, chapter 5. Last week he sort of summarized what he was teaching, and then this week we're going to, um, he summarizes the result of justification for us. Much fuel for joy here. But I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. And we will, only, we will look at verses 1 and 2 before we celebrate communion together today. This is God's Word. Pay attention. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Thus far God's Word. Let's pray together. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the salvation that we rejoice in, for the Spirit who applies the redemption to us through the Word, who gives us hope. Lord, we bow before you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit, we pray for your blessing on the preaching and the hearing of your Word. Take your word and do your work in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that there's hope for sinners. And it's not just a meager salvation that you have achieved, but that we are rich beyond imagination in our Lord Jesus Christ. Co-heirs with him. will reign forever with him hope in this life and in the life to come. Give us a glimpse above the sun this morning. Give us a glimpse of who we are in light of who you are for us above the sun and in the redemption that Christ has purchased for us. So empower me to preach your word. Empower us to hear your word with ears that are open and minds that are eager and hearts that will understand and apply. We lift it up to you, asking it in faith, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you a joyful person? Would those around you testify to the fact that you are a joyful person? 
Do you live in an abiding joy in your life, even through the tears and struggles and trials of this life? And are you growing in it? Because, listen, most of us would have to confess when I, when I say, are you a joyful person? Most of us would probably say, sometimes. And most of those around us might say, sometimes. Why? Well, we want to talk about that today. See, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. Infectiously joyful. Almost nauseatingly joyful. To the extent that people would ask us, why are you so joyful? Or how can you be so joyful? Because listen, I know we all want to be joyful. But many times our joy is not anchored in the right place. So it looks more like a roller coaster than a sort of even climb and growth. See, we get circumstance tied, don't we? We get under the sun tied. We get to where we can only see here and the things around us here. And I don't know how long you've lived in the world. Some of the young people, not as long. But this is a pretty discouraging place to live just on the face of it. But see, thankfully, in Christ, the fuel for our joy is not our circumstances. It's not the people around us. It's not the things that we have or don't have or lost. How can we be more consistently joyful? Is it by having more stuff, more health, more leisure? Some of you think yes. If I just had, mm, then I would be more joyful. Most of us have lived long enough to know that even, any joy that we derive from this world is a, is a fleeting thing. It's an imperfect thing. And it doesn't last. See, the answer to our plight is a deep an abiding understanding of our gospel riches. See, if, if you've heard me say this before, but if we get up every morning and we put on our gospel glasses and we see everything in light of who our God is for us and what He's done for us in Christ and the fact that He is reigning and sovereign and on His throne and nothing comes into our life that doesn't come through His fatherly love and care and that He will promise to use to make us more like Jesus. Everything must work for us now. Heidelberg question number one, go read it. Because we have faith in Christ. And the deeper our understanding is of our gospel riches and the outflow of our justification in Christ, the more consistently and growingly joyful we're going to be. See, the gospel not only saves our souls, but it also fills them with joy when we deeply understand it. It's a message so simple that youngest child can grasp it and come to faith in Christ. And it's a message so profound that we can spend the rest of our lives mining the depths of it and never hit the bottom. The sonar won't hit the bottom of the gospel. The Hubble can't see the top of it. It's huge and filled with joy nuggets if we will grasp them and mine for them. See, today I want to look, talk to you from just verses 1 and 2 about the results or the fruits of our justification by faith alone. Because I'm, I'm seeing Paul here summarizing the, some of the results. These are not all of the results, but we'll talk about three of them because he talks about three of them. 
and see our glorious standing in Christ in this world, right? And the hope that that gives us for the life to come. So Paul highlights three results of our justification. So it's really, it's just something, it's not just, we never want to use the word just. There are no commands here. These are just things for us to understand and grasp and, and marinate in so that we walk with more gospel purpose and gospel joy. So I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. It's not a, a traditional main point. There, Paul highlights three results of our justification. We have peace with God, we stand in grace, and we hope for glory. We, ha- we hope for glory. We stand in grace because we have peace with God. So, the first result of our justification, number one, since we are justified, we have peace with God. Look at that first word, therefore. I know it sounds silly, but whenever you see therefore, what do you ask yourself? What is it there for? It's pointing us back to what he's previously said and showing us how he's going to apply that now as he moves forward in the discussion. So we've seen, we've seen in, God, uh, in Paul's treatment in Romans that everyone, Jew and Gentile, are lost, sinful, and need a Savior. That's the second half of chapter 1 all the way through the first half of chapter 3. And then the second half of chapter 3 up through where we are now, we've, we have talked about justification by faith alone. We've talked about uh, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what that means, where that comes from, and, and, and what it looks like. So he's going to summarize what he's... He's given us a treatment of Genesis 15, 6 and showed us in Abraham's life what justification looked like and showed that it wasn't only for Abraham but it's also for us. And then we sort of summarized all of that last week as we looked at the last few verses of chapter 4. But this week, look, since we have been justified by faith, since we've been justified, we have peace. Talk about that in a minute. My first question to you this morning is, are you justified? Are you justified? Because if, you, if you're going to have peace with God, you, you, you have to be justified. And he has since, pointing back, like when we've, we've previously come to faith and been justified on the basis of Christ, present tense, we have peace. More about that in a minute. But are you justified? What do you mean? Has God declared you righteous on the basis of His Son? How do I get that? Right? Well, that's why Jesus came. Listen to me. Christ came from heaven. He was born in a manger. He humiliated Himself to be born in a stable, to live under His own law, to fulfill all righteousness. Yes, for the glory of the Father, right? He told John, he said, we must fulfill all righteousness. And he did that out of glory, the glory of the Father and love for the Father and faithfulness to what he covenanted to before time. But he also did that to provide a perfect righteousness for his people. So he was sinless. He was the spotless, unblemished lamb that was pictured in the Old Testament sacrifices. He deserved only blessing. But then, at the end of his life, he takes our guilt upon himself. He becomes the sacrifice who would die for the sins of his people. See, blood of bulls and goats and all that, none of that took away sin. It was just a a picture that pointed forward to Christ who would come and redeem his people. So Christ going to the cross, part of God's plan, 
nailed to the cross, suffering horrible phys physical agony. But behind that, and, and uh, the real, the wrath of God was poured out upon him. The condemnation due his people. He took the wrath that we deserve on himself on the cross, and he drank it dry. And before he left the cross, he said, it is finished. Third day, he was raised from the grave, showing it's all true. He was raised for our justification. We talked about that last week. Christ is living and reigning now. He's not dead and rotting somewhere. So Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And how does Paul say that we are saved? By believing that gospel and trusting in Jesus. We talked a lot about that last time. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone? If so, you may have never heard this before. If you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone, you have been justified. How does that happen? When the Spirit works faith in our hearts, He brings us to life and gives us faith so that we trust in Christ. We are united to Christ and hidden with Christ. We are cleansed from all of our sins and clothed in His righteousness so that the judge can look upon us and see His Son and say, Righteous, accepted, my child, adopted into my family. You remember our definition of justification that we're all memorizing, right? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Please memorize that. God declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of His Son and not them. When God gives you faith and hides you in His Son, He cleanses you from every sin. Not just the past ones. They were all future when He died for them. Right? But all of them. Pardon. What does it say? pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight because of Christ. Sin gone. Read Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, and we're not circumnavigating here, it's gone, right? In the heart of the sea. See, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, that's where your sin is. What's the picture? Gone. Your debt of record before God has been obliterated with His Son on the cross and His righteousness is now your record before the judgment bar in heaven. That's what it means to be justified. So I ask you again, are you justified? Are you children, you're like, I don't even understand half of what you just said. Are you believing in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? What's John 3.16 say? And listen, I quote this for the children a lot, not because it's a simple verse. You go dig in it a little while, right? But they, they get it, they understand it, they memorize it. God loved the world in this way. That's what it means, so loved the world. Not, start, not talking about the bigness of His love, but this is how He did it. This is how He manifested it. God loved the world in this way, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, negative side, but have everlasting life. 
If you're trusting in Jesus, you have everlasting life now. And all of the trials you're going through have to work for you and not against you. They, they don't make you comfortable. They make you more like Jesus. So are you justified? If you're trusting in Christ, you are justified. And look what Paul says. Since we have been justified, what he's been talking about previously. Now look at the present tense statement. Since that is true, literally you could say, having been justified, completed action in the past, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in a status of peace. And it's a present tense, so it's, a it's not just a temporary peace, or, and it's not a coming and going peace. Like when, when a Christian sins and, and they confess their sins, they're not getting re-justified. The fellowship is restored, but justification has taken place when we come to faith in Christ. And if we have been justified, right now we have an abiding peace with God. It's an abiding, everlasting peace. We stand in a position of peace with God because He has justified us on the basis of His Son. What is this peace? See, we get confused here sometimes, don't we? Is this feelings? Is this my subjective experience? And so, because if it is, there are a lot of times I don't have it. I'm just being honest with you. Because we get distracted. We get focused on this world. We get focused on our pain or our struggles or our trials and we lose sight of the glorious God who's above the sun making it all work for us. See, he's not talking about an, a subjective peace, an experience of peace, feelings of peace here. What he's talking about is an objective peace, a declaration, a statement. The war is over. You realize you were born into this world an enemy of God. You were born on the wrong team. We were born sinners. We were born under condemnation. We were born needing a Savior. I know those little babies are cute. But they're not pure. Grandma, they're not pure. We come from the room speaking lies, Scripture says. We come expressing that sin nature that is in us, that guilt and corruption we inherited from Adam. We're born at war with God and in line with His enemies who pursue self-indulgence without caring what the glory of God is. But God has brought us to faith. He's, he's the one who has redeemed us and transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And therefore, for the believer, the war is over. You're at peace. God is your Father. You are His child. He now works for you. Because you've been reconciled, you're no longer His enemy. Look at, look at 510, on in chapter 5. I'm about to read chapter 4, which is good too. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. We were enemies, but we've been reconciled. There was no peace. What does the Bible say about peace for the wicked? No peace. What does that mean? They'll never feel okay with life? 
Doesn't mean that at all. No peace with God. But see, now that we've been reconciled, we have a peace with God. God is at peace with us because of Christ. And Christ's righteousness is the basis of our peace. Remember, that'll never change. If you're trusting in Jesus, even with faith, it feels like it's barely hanging on this morning. You're at peace with God. But it's only by living in a conscious apprehension of that reality, by living, walking around, remembering. That's what I'm talking about, putting your gospel glasses on in the morning, remembering who you are. It's only by living in this truth that we can consistently have that subjective peace that we want. See, our peace has to be rooted and grounded somewhere outside of this world and its circumstances. If our faith is rested in God and if our trust is in a sovereign God and if we know He's in control and we see that He sacrificed His Son for us, so what good thing will He withhold from us? Then we can have peace in the midst of the storm. The boat was sinking. Where was Jesus? Asleep. Why? Because he didn't care? No, he's at rest. He knew who he was. He knew who his father was. He was teaching the disciples something. And when they woke him up and said, Don't you care that we're dying? What did he ask them? Where's your faith? Don't you realize who's in the boat with you? And imagine this. You ever been on the water when it's stormy? Not fun. Imagine being in the water when the stormy, the boat's sinking, and this guy stands up and says, peace, be still, and immediate calm. What'd they say? Who is this? (laughs) They were getting it. We live in consistent peace subjectively by anchoring our hope objectively in the fact that we're at peace with God. Knowing we are secure and that God is at peace with us, then we can live in more consistent joy and experience that peace even in the midst of trouble. So if you want to test yourself, don't test yourself when everything's going your way. Right? When things are falling apart, look in your heart. I didn't mean to make that a poem. (laughs) And see what's there. Is gospel hope there so that you have joy and peace in the midst of it? Or is unbelief there so that you're freaking out in the midst of it? Even if unbelief is there, though, take it to the cross. Remind your heart of who you are. You're at peace with God. And these circumstances, as hard as they get, are nothing to compare with the joy that it was ours and will be ours and the glory, so you can rest. God is at peace. Therefore, we have peace. Notice there's no command here. It's just a statement of fact. There are no commands in any of this text. All we, that's the reason I didn't give you one in the main point. This is just God telling us the results of our justification so that we can be fueled in rejoicing, which is a major theme, and you'll see him develop it further as we go forward. But see... This is a statement of reality. You and God are at peace. Believe it. Really believe it. Really believe it. Enter into that peace that is yours so that you can walk 
in the experience of that peace. You'll, most of you probably know that there were Japanese soldiers after the end of World War II on islands that didn't know the war was over. So they were still afraid, kept fighting, all of, all of that. Why did they do that? They didn't know the war was over. I'm telling you, the war is over. The war is over. You can stop fighting with God now and with everybody around you. They're not here to torment you. They're here to sanctify you. God is at peace with you. Because you are justified, you have peace with God in Christ. i got to move on. Number two, since we are justified, we stand in grace. Look at the first part of verse 2. Now, I'm going to read it all, though. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only place to find peace with God. If it's all the fits you want to, it's just a fact. The only one who has ever been God and man who died was raised from the grave and saved his people. He's the only source of salvation. Look to him. <clears throat> peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at this in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access by faith into this grace of justification in which we stand. Our standing before God, we are mired up in grace. We're standing on the rock. We are standing in His grace. Nothing can change that. Our standing is in God's grace to us in Christ. Therefore, our standing before God is a gracious one. I don't know if you ever watch like a boxing match. Have you ever seen anybody try to box on ice? It quickly becomes a ground game, okay? Because why do you, why? Any athletic shoes, why are they designed? To give you good footing, stability, so that you can execute what you need to execute. To fight the good fight of faith, we must have a secure place to stand. We must have a sure footing. Sure footing is everything in combat. You know, the Roman soldiers would, would, uh, was sort of the pattern for Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 when he was talking about who we are in Christ and our armor in Christ and how we're to fight in this battle. Listen, some of you are new to Grace Church. Y'all know we're not on a cruise ship, right? The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. We're at war. We are soldiers. We're in the fight. You can go on the battlefield in Bermuda shorts if you want to. Not going to work out very good. But part of the armor is shoes. And I have a, a picture here of a replica of what the Roman soldier would have worn. They would drive nails through the bottom of their shoes and, and then clip them off, file them off so that they had studs. They look like cleats, don't they? But So that they would have sure footing in the battle. Their feet would be anchored into the ground. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, 14 and 15, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as, look at this, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, or the good news of peace. We are at peace with God, and that gives us sure footing, in the fight. Like Martin Luther, and maybe it's an apocryphal story, I don't know, there is an ink spot on the wall, but when the devil came to him and was accusing him of all of his sin, 
And at the end of it, he said, you forgot a few and named some more. And then he said, now right over all of them, washed in the blood of Christ and threw the inkwell at the wall. Now, whether he was having a, I don't know, but that's true. <laughs> what did that show? He was on good footing. His hope was not in himself. His hope was in his Savior. So, so he was ready to stand against the assault. What good would it do to have a big old shield if your feet were on roller skates? You'd get pushed around, wouldn't you? See, the good news of peace I'm giving you this morning. If you are trusting in Christ, you have peace with God. Stand in it. Stand in it. Stand in grace. Because he says, through him, Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. We have obtained, we've come to faith so that we now stand in that grace. So stand firmly in the grace of God and don't let anything or anybody start to push you off into reliance upon yourself or to reliance upon your circumstances or your bank account or any... Stand firm in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Know that the trials of coming. Stand against them with your gospel riches, not your own resources. See, our standing, our security is in God's free grace to us in Christ. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have been saved and we cannot lose it. There is no losing your salvation. There's professing a salvation you don't have and then turning from it. Apostasy only proves that you never had it. They went out of us, went out from us because they were not of us, John says. So all these people today in popular culture that are deconstructing their faith and leaving Christianity, they're leaving a mirage that they thought they had, but they never had the reality of the Spirit's work in their hearts because the Spirit finishes what He begins. So if somebody you love professed faith as a child and they're living like hell now, trust them. They don't know Him. Keep the gospel the main thing. It's not a ticket you buy and file away in a drawer. When you're converted, you get a new heart. You get the power of the Holy Spirit. You get a right relationship with God. And that, listen to me, that changes you. I'm sorry, we'll get to chapter 6 later. But listen... We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and we cannot lose it. Look, look at this, Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans 8, verse 30. We'll get there. We're not there yet, but I wanted to show you one thing out of it. Romans 8, verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Effectual call. And those whom He called, watch this, He also justified. And some of those he justified, he also glorified. Is that what that says? Implied all, right? Those whom he justified, he glorified. What's glorification? It's the finishing of the work, right? If he started the work, he'll finish the work. If you're trusting in Christ, if you're saved, you cannot lose it. If you're justified, you will always be justified. And you will be being sanctified, and someday you will be glorified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. So since we are, since we are justified, we stand in grace. Stand there. Root your feet there. 
Thirdly, since we are justified, we rejoice in hope. And see, the gospel is going to take us to some counterintuitive places. Right? Because we're going to go on to see in the next sermon that we rejoice in our suffering. Are we sick? No. We have hope. We know who reigns over them, but that's next week. But look what he says in the rest of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is that? Well, it's what we fell short of. If you go back in, in chapter 3, right? You'll see that we all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. That's Romans 3.23. But what did we fall short of? The glory of God. Remember when we talked about that? This glorious standard God has given us. This, this glory that we are to live up to because we are creatures. That we've been created by God. We are to above all and first and foremost always glorify His name by lovingly and joyfully keeping His commandments. And we've all fallen short of that. See, we have been justified, we are be sanctified, and someday we will be glorified, but that hasn't happened yet. We have hope in the midst of our struggle in growing in grace because of His faithfulness and His promises. So bottom line, what he's saying here is we, we have hope for our glorification. Because God is faithful, because He has kept His promises, because He has justified us, because He is growing us in grace, we have hope that He will finish the work. God, hear me, hear me, hear me. God is the one who begins the work of salvation in a heart. And if He begins the work of salvation, He finishes it. If He started a work of grace in you, He will finish it. Because those whom He justified, He, always, he glorifies. Justified by grace, sanctified by grace, glorified by grace. Christ purchased it all for us. Yes, in our growth in grace, we have to work. Scripture says, make the mo your best effort. Give every effort, however that your translation handles that. But we work standing in grace. We work depending upon God. We're aimed at glorifying God because we love Him, and we take our failure to the cross. We don't hope in our performance. But look, at, look at, back at Romans 8.30. Pull that slide back up, Ian. There's just one more point I want to make since we're talking about glorification. Look at what it says. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice it doesn't say those whom he justified, he will glorify. It says those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's in the past tense. What does that mean? Why is it in the past tense? God is speaking of it as though it was already done. It's that sure. If He's doing the work, and if He justified you, He will glorify you. See, the only way we can have hope for glorification is if our hope is in Him. Because we know how feeble we are. How fickle we are. How, what are we saying? Prone to wonder? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God. We know that's true of us. But Jesus came and achieved the glory of God and kept God's glorious standard. And He gives that righteousness to us in our justification. And God will complete that work of our being transformed into that record that's already ours, into Christ's likeness in our glorification. 
God will finish the work. Hang on. Trust Him. He's at work in you. Things are going to be hard. This is not a Joel Osteen sermon. Things are going to be hard, but He's going to be with you in it, and He's going to make you like Jesus through it. And when He returns, it'll be done. If we die before He returns, it's done for our spirit, and we wait on our new bodies. When you die, you go immediately to be with the Lord. So no fear there. But look at 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And if that doesn't amaze you, you need to examine yourself. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Need to marinate in that a little while. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But watch this. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Work finished. Glorification. It says, because we will see Him as He is. See, we have hope in the midst of our struggle because He will finish the work. Paul says we have peace with God, that we're standing in grace, and now we have hope for the future. We rejoice in the glory of God. Even though we're not glorified yet, we know He's going to finish that work. Look at Romans 8, 23 to 25. And kids, I'm almost done, I promise. Romans 8, 23 to 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await for the adoption as sons. Anybody relate to groaning in this world? Now, for in this is hope, for in this hope we were saved. Not now hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, we're still waiting for it. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, watch, we wait for it with patience. How can we do that? Because we know our God and trust him, and therefore we trust his promises. It's coming. And it's spoken of as though it was already done, so we can rest in it and know. As much as we're struggling right now, he's begun that good work in us, and he will complete it. The day of Christ Jesus. Let me just say a word about this hope. It says that, uh, that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, sometimes when we talk about hope, well, maybe it's a coming Christmas present or something, and we say, oh, I hope I get a new bicycle. Or if you're an adult, a new car, or whatever it is you're wanting. That's not the kind of hope that's biblical hope. It's not a hope-so thing. Biblical hope is a patient confidence. Biblical hope is a patient confidence that God will keep His promises that are proved true by the resurrection of Christ. So it's a patient hope in this God who says, he, those He justifies, He will glorify, so we look and trust in Him. See, Abraham believed God's promises, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and we know he's looked through them, he saw the, the Savior coming. But biblical hope is a patient confidence in God. In His character, in His nature, in His promises. That He will do what He has said He will do. And it's good of Him to tell us ahead of time what He's going to do. So as believers, as having been justified, we are at peace with God. The war is over. We stand in His grace. That's our footing. And we hope for the future. Someday we will be made exactly like Jesus Christ, our Savior. Not becoming God, but morally pure. With hearts that truly and always love God. 
No more sin, therefore no more misery. So I'll just remind you, this application, again, not traditional application, it's just a reminder. I want you to believe me. Believer, believer, you have peace with God in Christ. You have trials and trouble and no peace and lack of peace in the world. Look to Christ. You have, you're, at, you're in peace. God's at peace with you. He is your Father. He is with you and for you and taking you through and making you like Jesus. Number two, believer, you stand in grace before God in Christ. If you are a believer, even if you have some confused theology, your standing is grace before God. And you might think you could lose that, but you can't lose that because it's His work in you. You stand in a standing of grace, free gift. Remember the definition of justification. It's a gift of His grace. You stand in grace. And believer, you have hope for the future because He is faithful. He will finish what He started. Peace, grace, and hope are all yours in and because of Jesus. So if you're trusting in Christ, you are secure. You are fully fueled for joy. You can rest and live in hope. Christ is your security because Christ is your justification. So in Him you have peace because of God's grace. You can live this life with confidence even though the storms are many. And listen to me, you can leave this life with confidence because you know you will share in Christ's glory. He is your security and therefore your joy. He stands at the door to answer it to all of your enemies. He will take you all the way home. So rest in His peace. Rest in His grace. Rest in the hope that is yours in Him. His salvation is a full salvation. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Help us to believe, Lord. Help us to trust. Help us to rest in you. Help us to be able to walk through the storms of this life in faith, knowing that you are faithful. You are with us. You are for us and not against us. The gospel proves that's true. The cross proves that's true. So may we own our riches of peace with God, of shoes, feet that are anchored in grace, and of hope that is not just for this life, but for the one to come. Lord, for those of you who may be listening and don't know you, plant gospel seeds in their hearts, bring them to faith and be your will. And Lord, those of us who do know you, I pray that we would be more serious about knowing you and knowing the riches that are ours in Christ through a real and true knowledge of your word, depending upon the spirit focused on Christ. Make us, Lord, revive us. Grant us a renewed and deepening seriousness, Lord Jesus, about following you and about being light and salt for you in this dark world drawing close and staying close with you so that we dwell in this soul security that is ours. Reveling in the fact that we have peace with God. That your throne for us now is a throne of grace where we can find mercy and help in our time of need. 
and that we not only have hope in you for this life, but for the future. So save and sanctify your people, build your church, grant us renewal and revival, no matter how hard the days get. You will be with us, and you will be for us, and you will make everything work for us to make us like Christ. So mature us. Wean us from depending on our feelings. Wean us from gauging you by our circumstances. Help us to keep our hearts anchored above the sun where our Savior sits and reigns over all things. We give you praise for your love and grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.